Welcome to this edition of Labor Vision. I'm Bob Delaney, Executive Director of the Institute for Labor Studies and Research. Labor Vision, a production of the Institute, focuses on topics of importance to working Rhode Islanders. We hope you enjoy this edition. Vision, a production of the Institute for Labor Studies and Research. I'm your host, Erica Hammond, and join with me today the Executive Director of the Rhode Island Center for Justice, Jennifer Wood. Thank you so much for joining us, Jen. Thanks for having me on, Erica. All right, so why don't you start by telling us about the Rhode Island Center for Justice? What is your mission? Who are the members you represent? I'd be happy to. Uh, the Rhode Island Center for Justice was founded just about five years ago now. Uh, and it was basically a group of attorneys and community members who came together and realized that there are a number of unmet legal needs in mm -hmm. our community, even given um, the amazing work that the labor movement does in representing workers' rights, uh, the work that many of the other organizations in Rhode Island do to support the legal needs of the community. Mm -hmm. There were notable gaps, um, and particularly pertinent to labor vision mm -hmm. uh, was the fact that there really weren't attorneys that were available to represent uh, low-income workers mm -hmm. without charging them to vindicate some of the rights in the workplace, particularly those who are not represented by a bargaining unit. Right. So uh, from, its, from its founding, the Center for Justice has focused on wage theft, uh, and that's an area that the community identified to us as mm -hmm. an area of unmet need. Okay, and can you explain a little bit more about what is wage theft for our viewers? Absolutely. It's shocking to most people to who I talk mm -hmm. to about the work that we do at the center, find it shocking that there are many workers in uh, settings where they're not represented by a bargaining unit who may be not paid minimum wage, where payment is not made consistent with state and federal law to pay overtime, mm -hmm. to uh, regulate the number of hours worked. A lot of our Rhode Island neighbors are being subjected to unfair conditions in the workplace where they may be working off the books mm -hmm. um, for cash payments that don't even meet minimum wage. And in the most severe cases, we represent workers who may have had their entire labor literally stolen from them yep. in the sense that they may have worked for weeks or months without getting paid at all. Mm -hmm. Does it ever surprise you when you try and tell people about the work that you're doing at the center and issues like wage theft and they didn't, had no idea that this was an issue? It, it's, it's important for me to be here today talking to you right. about it and I take every opportunity to talk to public groups because people who go to work every day mm -hmm. and are a salaried employee or work in a, in a setting where they know what the rules are, mm -hmm. usually uh, are very surprised to learn that their neighbors may be literally getting ripped off at work yep. um, and working hours, often long hours, with either no pay or pay that does not meet legal requirements. Right. Can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you're doing on wage theft, um, how you are addressing it? Certainly. The good news is that there are rights under both state and federal law mm -hmm. to be paid 
consistent with those laws. Mm -hmm. So when an employer is not paying minimum wage, is not respecting overtime hours and the requirements to pay overtime rates, um, when various laws around family leave, other uh, employment wage and hour laws are not being followed, both the State Department of Labor and Training and the Federal Department of Labor have enforcement divisions. So there are mechanisms that workers can turn to to have their complaints heard and resolved. And as is the case so often with these structures, it can be very helpful and sometimes necessary mm -hmm. for workers to have assistance from an attorney yep. to work their way through those complaint processes. Mm -hmm. And because some of the administrative processes can be very slow, we can also sue in federal court on behalf mm -hmm. of low-income workers who have been denied adequate pay. I know it's not an easy system to navigate, so having the help of an attorney, someone at the center, would Absolutely. be crucial, I think. Having, having rights, that, and everyone that is familiar with the work that labor unions do understands that having rights on paper is mm -hmm. not the same as enforcing those rights. Absolutely. And so we do find that there are a lot of workers in Rhode Island who need the assistance of an attorney mm -hmm. who might not otherwise be able to access an attorney. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of, unfortunately, there's a large overlap between those that we represent in the wage theft area and the immigrant community. Right. Because unfortunately, employers sometimes assume that because someone is an immigrant, they may be not as well informed about their rights or afraid to vindicate those rights. Yep. And so we're very proud to work as part of the immigrant coalition in Rhode Island and to work in partnership with Fuerza Laboral. Mm -hmm. So when the center was first founded, a workers' rights center, Fuerza Laboral, was one of the community partners that came to us and said, our members need your help. Mm -hmm. We need legal representation in these cases. And sometimes these are class action cases or group right. cases where an, in an entire workplace there may be 50 or 100 workers who are not being paid according to state and federal mm -hmm. law. Right. So Fuerza has been a critical partner to us in providing that link to the community and they work with and identify um, individuals who have been cheated mm -hmm. and then they'll refer them to us and we'll be able to bring those cases on their behalf. Right. Okay. And can you talk about the legislation? I understand there's legislation um, being entered this session, yes. right, um, around wage theft um, and having it classified as a felony. Can Correct. you further explain that? So in, in partnership with many of the members of the labor movement, actually, this year legislation is being introduced in the Rhode Island General Assembly, mm -hmm. uh, and we are very supportive of this legislation that will make wage theft a felony because Usually, the wage theft cases that we get involved in, even if it's only a few weeks that someone has not been paid according to law, this will go into the thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. And when we represent groups of individuals, we're, we've been involved in cases where there are hundreds of thousands yeah. of dollars of denied wages involved. And in any other context, if you if I walk up to you on a street corner and take your ATM card mm -hmm. and go and steal $10,000 from your account, right. That's a felony. Um, when employers engage in that same behavior, it should be recognized as Absolutely. a felony as well. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's the same um, number, it's the same dollar amount that correct. would classify it as a felony yes. as it would be if it was theft, any, any individual other way theft. that someone takes money away from you illegally. Right. Okay. And um, what are some ways that the state can help preventing against wage theft? Well. One of the things that our partner Fuerza Laboral has been doing very effectively 
and we worked with them and as did the Rhode Island Labor mm -hmm. Movement passed legislation to create co-ops, worker co-ops, where the workers themselves run the business. Yeah. So the premise being that um, if you're your own boss, you're not going to steal from yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a very powerful concept. And Fuerza has already founded at least one workers co-op. I know that they're working on others. Mm -hmm. um, there are certain industry sectors where wage theft uh, is seen with greater frequency, particularly in the areas of janitorial services, landscaping services, the construction industry. Unfortunately, in some of these arenas, there's more employment that is done off the books, mm -hmm. um, and therefore, um, those are sectors where worker co-ops could be really beneficial, right. where the workers themselves come together, incorporate, form a business, and there's now a law on the books in Rhode Island that enables that to be a form of incorporation mm -hmm. for a business. Okay. And that way the workers themselves are governing the way the business is run right. and will treat each other fairly and according to law. Makes sense, right? Um, and speaking of vulnerable industries, I know that domestic workers has been um, the industry of domestic work has been uh, definitely an industry that you guys are doing a lot of work in around wage theft, right? This is one of the real concerns uh, because both at the federal level and in state law in Rhode Island, domestic workers, people who work in a home mm -hmm. setting, are not included in mm -hmm. current minimum wage right. and other wage and hour laws. They're sp specifically exempted. Yeah. Uh, and as our society has changed, there is so much demand for work, and there are some obvious sectors where this occurs. Um, we, ha we are an aging population. Mm -hmm. um, Rhode Island actually has the greatest proportion of its population over the age of 85 of any state in the union. Right. And so people who do such critically important work and assist people to remain healthy in their own homes, people who go in a home to provide homemaker services, mm -hmm. to provide um, housekeeping, people who provide childcare in homes have up until now been specifically exempted right. from wage and hour laws. And that's a gap that the labor movement in Rhode Island and partnership with our organization and others mm -hmm. is going to be trying to close in the General Assembly. Okay. First of all, by removing the exemption of domestic workers from the minimum wage laws, they should be protected just like any other worker to receive minimum right. wage. And then secondly, in Massachusetts and at the federal level, legislation has been introduced federally and has been passed in Massachusetts for a domestic workers' bill of rights, right. which would require not only that people who work in a home setting receive minimum wage, but also get vacation, get sick time, mm -hmm. all of the typical things that we associate as employment rights, mm -hmm. but which this entire workforce has been deprived of historically. Right. It doesn't make sense. I, I called them our uh, a vulnerable industry, called it a vulnerable industry, but they're all they're taking care of our some of in some cases our most vulnerable populations too in Rhode Island, right? So this, yeah, it's a very human set of issues. Yeah. I mean, sitting here with you at the table, I have a 97-year-old mother mm -hmm. and a 17-month-old granddaughter. Oh. So, in almost every family there are people Absolutely. who need this critical help. Mm -hmm. I mean for my mom to be able to remain healthy and happy in her own home mm -hmm. and not to, um, it has been her goal and it, she's very clear about this, to remain mm -hmm. in her own home. Um, that requires us to have a robust workforce 
of people who provide those critical services. Right. And Absolutely. I'm so grateful that we're able to do that. But this has been an unregulated area mm -hmm. and people who are working in these critical roles really need protection. Absolutely. Now, before we start to close up, um, can you tell us a little bit about the work that the center is doing to assist migrant families? Absolutely. Uh, we're very grateful to be in existence and be able to represent immigrants. Some other legal services organizations, given restrictions on federal funding, mm -hmm. are restricted from representing immigrants. So that has been something that we've tried to step into, again, in our whole theory of action, is to fill the gaps. Absolutely. So we identified a gap in that area, and we're a member of the Immigrant Coalition of Rhode Island, which mm -hmm. is more than 35 nonprofits all of whom are concerned about the issues confronting immigrants, particularly at a time when our nation's policy at the federal level has been very hostile to immigrants. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things we recognized was that with increased enforcement and detention and deportation, there are U.S. citizen children of immigrants who would be separated from their parents. Yeah. So with the coalition, we put in place a simple set of documents that immigrant parents could authorize an alternative caregiver mm -hmm. so that if in the worst case scenario they're detained or deported, their U.S. citizen children will be appropriately cared for by someone they trust and who loves their children. It's incredible. Yeah, it's filling those kinds of gaps seems, you know, rel relatively mundane, like, oh, you need a power of attorney. But actually, with yeah. that not in place, it can have really catastrophic consequences for a family. Absolutely. And, um, before we wrap up, do you would you like to speak on quickly um, the work that you guys are doing on housing and utility justice, what this looks like? And we only have like about a minute left. But. Sure. Thank you for mentioning that issue because people's lives are not in silos. Uh, the low-income workers that we represent mm -hmm. are also our housing clients, and they're also the clients that we represent when they may be facing a utility shutoff. Right. So we're trying to do holistic representation and meet the needs of a family that comes to us presenting any one of those issues. Mm -hmm. So we see those things as really inextricably linked, and it's really about accessing economic justice through having access to a lawyer where you might otherwise not have had that access. Right. All right. I very much appreciate the work that you guys are doing at the center. Um, I want to first start by thanking you so much for joining us because I know that you are very busy. The center is very busy because there's a lot to be done and there's a lot going on right now. Um, so I appreciate you. I appreciate the center. Um, and it's always great to hear about the work that you guys are doing. So I'm looking forward to having you on more um, to talk a little bit more about some of these issues. Well, thank you so much for highlighting these issues and inviting me to be here and also Thanks so much to the members of the labor movement in Rhode Island who mm -hmm. have been tremendously supportive of our work since our founding. Awesome. Um, it means a lot to us and it means so much to the workers that we represent and their families. Well, thank you. <laughs> all right. Um, thank you all. For those of you tuning in, uh, you're watching Labor Vision. Make sure to check out our new website. It's www.laborvisionri.org in case you've missed any of this show or you're interested in seeing any of our other shows. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. We hope to see you back here next week. Have a great night, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Labor Vision. I'm Bob Delaney, Executive Director of the Institute for Labor Studies and Research. And I'm Erica Hammond, Workforce Labor Liaison, also at the Institute. We're really pleased that you joined us uh, in this edition. We've been talking about the work that the Institute has been doing for 
the last 40 years. As a matter of fact, this is the anniversary of the Institute. We are 40 years old this year and continuing to make a difference in the lives of working Rhode Islanders. So both Eric and I wanted to have a conversation about the work that we do together um, and the entire staff of the Institute that really does to make that difference. We wanted to talk about the programs that are happening now and reflect on some of the programs from the past. Erica, um, you spent a vast majority of your time most recently on the new hospitality program, the yes. apprenticeship training program that we're mm -hmm. developing at the Institute. Want to talk about it? Yeah. So this program got started actually, uh, I'm going to throw a plug in for Leadership for Future. Sure? Uh, it started there with one of our last year's students, uh, Jonah Zinn, who works with Unite Here uh, Local 26. And um, he came up with this idea for his project for Leadership for Future's Community Action Project. And it just so happened that the hospitality's apprenticeship training was something that we had already done similar um, at the Institute. So it started off there and it just kind of snowballed into um, a program now that we just got planning, a planning grant funding for. So. It's interesting, I was going through the archives and I found two pieces of paper here. One was a brochure that was marketing the hospitality industry training program <laughs> and the other was a, a, a news information on uh, July, August of 1994 wow. where we were actually training people for um, the new hotel at the time at the Westin which mm -hmm. is now the Omni and so it's ironic that we should be working with I think it's the Renaissance, the Omni, the Graduate mm -hmm. and Twin River yep. to try and create an apprenticeship training program for people coming into that industry. Mm -hmm. So um, it's going to be a while before we're looking for new people mm -hmm. but the planning grant, how do you see it working out? Well, it's going to be a lot of sitting down with our partners and uh, working out the kinks of curriculum, um, figuring out how we can best uh, use these partnerships. So uh, the partners will be, uh, as we mentioned before, Unite Here 20, Local 26, um, the BEST program, they're the Boston Education Skills and Training program, Corporation out of Boston, and those four hotel partners. So it'll be, we'll sit down with them a lot and figure out what those hotels want this training to look like um, and how we can best serve them and help them get the most trained individuals into their hotels. So what's next on the agenda other than the apprenticeship training? Well, uh, next is the teacher assistant program which is really taking off this year. Uh, we have our next session starting on February, on February 18th. So it's going to be run from a Tuesday to a Friday and then Monday to Thursday. So it's February 18th to February 27th. Uh, we have, as we mentioned, and I think a few weeks back when we were talking about the teacher assistant program with two of our other colleagues, uh, Fatima and Sabine, who also run the program, there are three tracks to the teacher assistant program. There's the walk-in students um, and then our English language learners as well as a youth track that we do. Um, so we have two classes coming up, the one in February that I mentioned and then another one in March, starting on March 3rd and that's a Tuesday-Thursday class. Um, and there's registration night for that on February 11th at 4 p.m. at the Institute. Something interesting that was a, an outgrowth of that is our Pathway to Teaching program. And um, we've noticed that a lot of people who come to our ESL classes 
have degrees from outside the United States and we decided let's have those degrees evaluated uh, by an outside agency who will give us an equivalency on whether or not they're equal to um, or need additional courses to have an equal degree that would be issued from an American university. Most cases that we're running into, those degrees are equivalent. So we have people with bachelor's and master's and doctorate degrees who are working in jobs not in their particular field but have expressed an interest in teaching or being a teaching assistant. And so they came into the teacher assistant training program and some of them are now classroom teachers through our partnership with RIDE, the school districts and the unions involved. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to thank you because I think you were instrumental in making that happen. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. So what's next? Um, the next, we should talk about our Leadership for a Future program. Or actually, we'll talk about that last. Let's go back to the um, ESOL, our English. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, English classes for speakers of other languages. Uh, right now, that program is also taking off. Um, I got some notes from Sabine and Margarita in our office who run this program, and all of their winter classes are completely full. So I remember that they had gotten the most ever, uh, the highest ever numbers at all of their registrations uh, this past month. And their next registration will begin in March. It's March 24th at the Pawtucket Public Library. Um, and then classes will begin after that. Those are the spring classes. So they're not accepting students until the spring because they're so full. That's the classes exciting. we're lucky to. Our classes run between, you know, usually 250 and 275 students. And we still have other students that we could, yeah. if we had the space, if we had the classes, oh, if we absolutely. had some extra money, we could do it. Um, but that, that class is, uh, that's at the core of the work the Institute does. Mm -hmm. um, we've been doing English second language classes, ESL, ELL, there's a whole variety of terms for right. them. But we've been doing that since the Institute opened 40 years ago. And um, I think it's really important for people to understand that it is at the core philosophy of the Institute is to be able to make a difference in the lives of people. And the phrase that we use about mm -hmm. changing lives and building futures is probably the most important in this program that we do. Oh, yeah. I think at the dinner, we oftentimes have a cross-section of people at our an annual awards evening who attend those classes and they elect a student to be a student speaker. Mm -hmm. Those students who represent their class year after year, mm -hmm. it's a very gripping, it's a very emotional story yeah. and it's important for people to know the difference that that, that ESL class, whether it's at the Institute or the other vendors and mm -hmm. providers across the state, how important that is. Oh, absolutely. I, I think we had over 70 English language uh, learners represented at the Institute dinner last year. And it's, it's a proud moment, I think, for them. You can, you can see it and you can hear it in their speeches when uh, they're up there on stage talking about the classes. It's empowering. I think everybody would agree uh, who, who come to the dinner, and we usually have anywhere between, you know, 375 and 400 people at mm -hmm. a dinner. Everybody leaves talking about the impact that that speaker had for them understanding yeah. the importance of those classes and the importance in changing their lives. Absolutely. So let's jump on to your favorite topic on okay. Leadership for a Future. Um, leadership for a Future is going to be getting very busy. Um, the application is out, so any of our viewers who are interested in taking part in our Leadership for a Future program, it's uh, for those of you who don't know, it's a program for emerging leaders in uh, union 
and local unions and community organizations, faith communities, um, and the community as a whole um, who are interested in becoming emerging lead leaders or who are in leadership positions and are just looking to do more networking to really create this toolkit for leaders in Rhode Island. Um, this is our 20th year doing the program, which is really exciting. And we have seen over 325 participants go through this program. Um, so the application is out and it's on our website. Um, it's our new website, so folks should check it out. Um, it is www.riilsr.org. Um, and check out the leadership for a future application there. You can, application deadline is Friday, January 31st. So when this airs, it'll be that week, the end of that week. Um, the mandatory overnight retreat is on Friday, February 28th. It starts at 5 p.m. though, so folks can leave work and go in, right into it from there. We do it so that no one has to take a day out or take a personal day. Um, and it's at the Canonicus Camping Conference Center. So it's and it's it's an exciting program. And I think it, it's important to realize that if we take a look and and again this is our twentieth anniversary yeah. for yeah. leadership for a future. We're coming up with these even anniversaries. Mm -hmm. um, I think that we have had more than three hundred people yeah. attend our classes over, over three hundred and twenty-five in the last mm -hmm. twenty years. And and if you take a look at the names of the people who have graduated mm -hmm. and see the impact they've had in the legislature, oh, yeah. in the Senate, in business and industry and labor, um, it really does make a difference. And I think I would encourage anybody who's aspiring mm -hmm. to become a leader in the community or in labor or in your family, mm -hmm. doesn't make any difference. It does make a difference. And, and Erica it does an excellent job of managing the registration. Let's talk for a minute about some of the sessions. So some of the sessions, it's, there's going to be 10 night sessions this year and we're adding a few new ones. Um, but some of the ones that we've always had is um, the history of labor in Rhode Island, um, the uh, leveling the playing field, public education in Rhode Island. Um, we are having, we're going to add a new class which is Solidarity Forever. So that'll be a really great way for folks to learn about um, not just the history of the labor movement in Rhode Island, but the impact that solidarity has um, in Rhode Island labor. Um, the, what picket lines mean, right? And we talked a little bit about this class, um, and we're going to do a panel of a lot of uh, of labor leaders who can talk uh, on solidarity and the labor movement. And, we'll, and we look at skills like effective communication and mm -hmm. social media. Right. Everything that would be involved in kind of a toolbox of support right. like for becoming and, and public speaking mm -hmm. and for being a leader. I think it's um, um, Paul is going to be the uh, the producer of Labor Vision. We'll probably put up a copy of the brochure yep. during the show that, so that people can begin to get a little more information, call the Institute, speak with you, go online. Mm -hmm. So there's plenty of avenues. We're really hoping that people will um, register sooner rather than later because it is filling fast. Right. Yeah. The a couple of other things that, that we wanted to kind of take a look at. Um, the Institute over the last number of years has had a partnership with Eastern Gateway Community College. Um, that's our labor partner university and college. Um, and everybody in organized labor has the opportunity to receive a free degree online through our partnership with Eastern Gateway Community College. 
Um, and now, in the past, you had to be a member of organized labor or a family member to be eligible for that benefit. We are now extending it so that anybody who takes a course or completes a program at the institute is eligible to enroll in our free associate's degree program. Um, there are many degrees, many areas within those, um, everything including cybersecurity and business and a host of others. Mm -hmm. And most recently, we are taking a look at our partnership with Central State in Ohio um, in looking at a bachelor's degree in the areas that they have, only our degrees will be online mm -hmm. and we're trying right now to take a look at um, their program in a bachelor's degree in education so that yeah. we can begin to give opportunity for the people who complete our TA program to come in and move toward becoming teachers or the people who come in and have their um, their degrees from outside the United States evaluated to potentially getting into that program. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to providing the opportunity for everybody who participates at the Institute mm -hmm. to entering into a free associate's degree program or getting involved with our bachelor's degree program at uh, Central State, which will cost some money, but minimal. It's a great opportunity. I think it is. I think yeah. it is. In closing, what do you what do you think you would like to, for people to know? Because we'll do this every quarter. Yeah. Um, uh, right now, I think it's most important that um, any of our viewers check out our new Labor Vision website. So it's www.laborvisionri.org. We also are tuning into our social media accounts, so checking out our Instagram, um, our YouTube page, which is Labor Vision TV One. Um, that's what I would end with. Yeah, I really want to take this opportunity to thank you for the work that you do on Labor Vision. Um, you're our newest house and mm -hmm. new face in Labor Vision, and I'm really pleased and proud that you're here. Happy to be here. I want to take a couple of minutes and thank Tom and Paul. Uh, they're the people who work behind the scenes to make this happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, Tom, you can raise your hand to be, hand to be proud of that. <laughs> um, so from everybody behind the camera in the studio and from Erica and I at the table, I want to thank you for joining us in this show. You'll see us quarterly together. Um, keep an eye on, on YouTube for our Labor Vision TV channel where you can follow up on all of these and we look forward to talking in the future. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Labor Vision. We appreciate your input and encourage your comments. Labor Vision can be seen on this channel three times each week, Tuesday at 7 p.m., Thursday at 8 p.m., and Saturday at 5 p.m.